0: the hell is going on what's really going on we said what the hell happened you don't have to know what the hell is on it Did they see what's going on at i don't the- know what's going on what is going on we must find out what is going on
1: hi i'm danielle Petka. and i'm mark welcome to our podcast the hell is going on mark what the hell
2: well the uh coronavirus impact- we can't talk about anything else the impact is finally hitting home because AEI is shutting down.
1: The, we're not shutting down work. We're just we're shutting, shutting down our, the office. The
2: office. We're all going to be uh, working from home. Social distancing. You aren't distancing. seeing
1: the air quotes there. So, so, social
2: <laughs> distancing. So, Daddy, keep your distance. Uh, <laughs> Don't worry. I already do.
1: <laughs>
2: not sharing a microphone. Uh, all no those, Trump all cooties those. for me. Exactly. We're going to find a way to continue podcasting. But if you have a temporary interruption in your podcast service from us, understand it's because we're trying to find a studio to record this
1: you can go back and listen to the ones you missed, which are excellent. But today- If you say so yourself. If I do say so myself. <laughs> right. And don't forget to subscribe, review, and all of that stuff too. So today we're talking about the economic impact of the coronavirus. Is it going to shut down our economy? Is it going to end trade with China? What's going to happen? There's a lot out there.
2: Yeah. So, I mean, this is a huge issue. So we, we are finding right now, first of all, not just AI, but schools, Universities, businesses are shutting down. The Masters,
1: down. the NBA, the, the, the NCAA, the everything. National Hockey
2: League. But more broadly, we're finding how economically dependent we really are on China, which is concerning. So there's like statistics about that we get huge amounts of our medicines and biologics uh, from China, generic drugs from China. We are incredibly economically intertwined with China, which is a totalitarian dictatorship. If you've been listening to our podcast, we just did a great episode on the link between totalitarianism and the public health threat from China. Lies about the virus, lies about the problems it's facing, lies to itself about the challenges it's facing, and then lies to the world. And we really need to just have a national discussion of, should we be this economically Dependent and economically intertwined, or should we start looking at ways of decoupling from China?
1: So that's really been, I think, where the discussion about China has been headed for the last couple of years. And, you know, it's gotten muddled because the president is totally focused on trade balances rather than on sectors and threats. And That's a problem for us. There's a problem in that we don't have a consensus with a lot of our allies about the nature of the challenge from China. But I think one of the things that we've tried to tease out in all the discussions that we've had about this challenge is that the trading relationship we have with China is leverage for the Chinese. They use every sector of their economy to squeeze us. And so, even from the most basic viewpoint, we ought to be diversified. The notion that we get 80% of our heparin or our antibiotics from communist China is just dumb. If you were living in your neighborhood and at the end of your block, there was a drugstore being run by the mafia, you would not buy your things from that drugstore. To the exclusion of all others, right? You would make sure that there was a couple of other places that you knew had it, just in case. And yet, the United States is still buying from the mafia communist drugstore in Beijing.
2: <laughs> that's that's a great analogy. But look, this is also an issue that look, I think something like eighty percent or ninety percent of the products that are sold, that are from clothes to sneakers, that are the things that are that cost under a hundred dollars, that are shoes and sneakers and clothes. Come from China? Do we toilet care, paper? Do we no, but that's my point. The, do, do we care if our sneakers come from China? No. Do we care if our toilet paper comes from China? Well, we're having a run on toilet paper, so you know maybe we do. But I mean, maybe that's a national security issue. But you know, no, we don't. Laundry detergent? No. Our drugs? Are, that are life-saving uh, biologics. And I'm sure there are other, you know, our cell phones and our communications infrastructure right. with Huawei. You know, the, we have to have a national conversation about how dependent we want to be on China. There and especially are, there are, in
1: key sectors. You
2: know, if you want to have cheap t-shirts going to Walmart all saying made in China, go for it. I don't care. But when we get a situation where we're going to have a run on the pharmacies because we can't get the basic ingredients to make ADHD medications, antidepressants,
1: a- antivirals uh, for anti- HIV.
2: Antivirals for HIV. Okay, if we're dependent on them and we can't get those things, that's a national security issue. And there are other industries which are national security issues. And I think we need to have a broader national conversation about do we need a,
1: a strategy to sort of produce some of that stuff here at home? Well, I really don't believe that the produce here at home is the right answer. I think we need to have a trust group of allies with whom we do business, period, end of story. I reject wholeheartedly the notion that that I think some in the White House, Peter Navarro, I'm talking to you, some in the White House believe is an opportunity for protectionism. We know where the 1930s went with that. We do not need a new Smoot-Hawley. We do not need indiscriminate use of tariffs. What we need is an intelligent bit of discrimination between good guys and bad guys in key sectors. And that's the challenge. But let's get back to the coronavirus for a second, because I think as we talk about our own deficiencies, as we talk about you know the president's terrible speech, as we talk about the CDC and its failings, we have forgotten that if China had not lied and concealed from the very beginning of December, folks, we're four months later. Right. If they hadn't done that, we wouldn't be in this spot right now. We are here because of the nature of the Chinese Communist Party.
2: Yes, but that is why we need to start talking about the broader dependence on China for right. trade. You know, we've already talked about the fact. We've had a terrific episode on this about how totalitarian regimes lie. You've got a great piece in the Dispatch on that, which I recommend that everybody go to, and uh, we'll link to it in the transcript. That is well trod ground on this podcast. What what we need to discuss is what do we do about it? Right. What do we, mean, you know, wh- do why we, are
1: we incapable?
2: Do we well, want to be dependent on a bunch of totalitarian lying dictators? I, I'm not. Arguing for protectionism, right. I'm not saying everything has to be produced in America. But would we prefer that some of these products be coming from a di- more diverse, from Canada,
1: uh, from France, from, from Germany,
2: even friendly dictatorships like Vietnam, uh, which is one of the most pro-American countries in, in, right <laughs> in now, and ironically in, the, in Asia right now, uh, because they because they're terrified of China too. You know, the enemy of my enemy is my friend. There's lots of places we can be getting this, and also diversifying. Everybody went into China because it was so cheap for so long, and it's not and cheap, cheap and anymore. It's not cheap anymore. They've got this myth of a billion consumers, you know, that we're going to be able to sell everything, and instead what the Chinese are doing is stealing all their intellectual property and and all the rest. We need to really have a reassessment of our trading relationship with China, our economic dependence on China, and whether we need to decouple and diversify.
1: So... Mark and I, of course, never hesitate to put ourselves out there as experts on absolutely everything. <laughs> but we have our colleague, Derek Scissors, who's a resident scholar here at the American Enterprise Institute. He specializes in the Chinese economy. He's the person who I go to anytime I have a question uh, about these issues. And he has been making very, very succinct and crisp arguments for quite a long time, well well before the coronavirus, about the need to actually reassess our relationships. Sometimes
2: the world comes and validates the work you've been doing for 20 years.
1: He's got a doctorate from Stanford and a master's from Chicago. Derek is the author of AEI's China Global Investment Tracker, which is the only data set out there of Chinese foreign investment. Really gives you a good sense of what the Chinese are up to in the world. So it's really great that that, that on the eve of our shutting down here at AEI, we were able to grab him in this TDO.
2: Derek, welcome to the podcast. <laughs> Thanks for having me. It's great to have you here. So, there's so many businesses shutting down, there's schools shutting down, airlines shutting down, AEI is shutting down. This is going to have a huge economic impact. You're an economist, you're an expert on China, which with whom our economy is inextricably linked right now. Tell us, are we going to have a coronavirus recession?
0: I think we probably are, and I'm going to say that disagreeing with Michael Strain yesterday, um, Michael well, Strain's our director of economic right. studies. Michael may have changed his mind given the extent of shutdowns across the country just between yesterday and today. But I'll say that let's remember what a recession is. We're at very low levels of unemployment. A recession is two consecutive quarters of less economic activity. And so unemployment rises. But it's rising from a really low level. This isn't a recession where people our age think of the 1970s or people thinking of the global financial crisis when unemployment jumps to 11%. This is a technical recession. And the reason is. All these things you just mentioned shutting down—that's what GDP is. It's a measure of economic activity. We're just buying less stuff because we're staying home.
1: I don't uh, know. I'm buying more stuff okay. at home. All right. Well, <laughs> <laughs> right. <sites>. Danny's just <laughs> hanging out
0: and shopping
2: at home instead of doing this podcast. There um, you
1: go. <laughs> uh, okay.
0: Um, Danny is not an economic indicator. There's select. There's indicator. Select, <laughs> there's select purchases, but like travel, tourism, you know, sporting events—all this thing is going to go down. So that's fine. Activity. Whatever. Activity can come back really, really. But fast. that's not a structural issue. That's a right. temporary issue exactly. based on people self-quarantin'. Right, well. right. Yes. Right. And will come bounding back. Exactly. There will be a V shaped recovery because American people are just as productive as they were before. There's nowhere anywhere that there's been I don't mean to put this crudely mass death. In the worst cases, that's not the case. We're going
1: to pe- have the same... Fewer pe- people will die right. probably of the coronavirus than actually will die of the flu worldwide this year still. Right, right. And we need to take steps to make sure
0: that's true, which is why we're doing all these this shutdown. And then the capital stock is, is affected by Wall Street, but the actual physical capital, that's just a valuation of the capital. That We haven't destroyed any buildings. This isn't a war. It isn't an earthquake. It isn't anything like that. So I think technically we're going to have a recession because there's going to be less activity. I don't think in a year the U.S. economy is going to be harmed by this because we'll become soaring back. The people at risk are people who, as we've been discussing, and businesses that live paycheck to paycheck. And that's who Congress and the administration should be helping, because if we can help them, the people who have several months of savings, they're going to be fine. So I I think technically we're going to have a recession. I think for the economy as a whole, it doesn't matter very much given where we started. But I think there are people who are at economic
1: risk that we need to uh, help right now. So let's talk a little bit about China. So, and again, you know, we've covered with Scott Gottlieb and others you know, some of the the medical questions relating to China's management, as well as a lot of the political questions, and that's really where the political economic stuff comes in. So, I don't think people in America have talked about supply chains this much in the history of the world. <laughs> but what we suddenly realize is the diet coke we're drinking right now, yeah, we're getting sweeteners from China, uh, shoes, pharmaceuticals, uh, uh, automobile parts. You know, we can go down the list how much of a disruption to the global supply chain is there going to be? And add to that as well, is the Chinese economy also going to slow down dramatically and drag others down with it? Uh,
0: Second question, first. Chinese economy absolutely will slow down dramatically. It won't be reported, but the Chinese- Because they lie. Right, right. The Chinese are even saying now that 60% of their small firms have gone back into operation. Not at full capacity. They've just gone back into some sort of operation. They previously claimed, it was a lie, that small firms account for huge amounts of their economy. Now they'll discover that isn't true, of course. But China is going to have a crash in the first quarter, is having a crash in the first quarter. That's worse than anything that's going to happen to us. Why is it worse? Because their health solution was to paralyze everything. Very early on, so they gave out orders that it's hard for us to give out. You know, we have to think about the people, and they enforced them by you know force. You were Wuhan quarantine wasn't like voluntary. You don't you just don't leave, stay home, it'll be fine.
2: I was at a church a couple of weeks ago where there was a priest who came back from China, who's a Chinese mm-hmm. priest who had been there, and he showed pictures to the congregation of literally signs outside a
0: building that said don't leave this building or we will break your legs. That's literally what the sign said. So, you know, all the terrible things you can imagine happening in a crisis that threatens the communist regime in China have happened. And those froze economic activity much worse. And the other thing for Americans to realize, we're still a much more advanced nation than China. China is not Shanghai. When we talk about telework, 90% 90% of Chinese don't have that kind of option. Yeah, okay, in the cities, in the rich cities, they do, but most Chinese don't. So when they're told to go home, that's the end. They're stuck at home, and that's the end of their their economic contribution. So it's going to be worse in China in the first quarter. What the Chinese have bought with these, you know, we'll break your legs if you leave this building kind of reactions, is they're bringing their, their supply back up. They're already into the, the V-shaped recovery. March is much, February was awful. Right. I mean, really like, you know, a depression level month. But March is clearly better than February. April will be clearly better than March. So the question on the U.S. side is, well, question for the world is, if you're supplying China with like energy, you're kind of out of luck. Chinese energy demand is going to drop and you're stuck. And so there are a bunch of commodity suppliers who who supply China and they're going to take a big hit. And the oil fight for the Saudis and the Russians is going to make everything worse for oil suppliers. For the U.S., what we're looking at is about a two-month disruption. And I don't, disruption sounds so vague. It's two months that, depending on the industry you're in, you get nothing from China. So pharmaceuticals is what everybody's worried about because the Chinese stopped sending stuff to the Indians, period. And the Indians then said, well, we're not exporting because we're not getting anything from China. We're hoarding, which we have not felt yet. There's going to be about a two-month blip where pharmaceutical products are not in new supply. That doesn't mean we'll run out. That depends on the stockpile. It depends on the demand. Uh, maybe people you know, aren't going to get headaches as much, and they're going to be worried about respiratory ailments. So we're going to have a two-month hit, which we have not felt yet. You know, I'm not enough of an expert on everything in the U.S. supply chain to know where it's going to be hurt the most, but I think that is going to affect us next month. We're going to start seeing the effect of, of China's decline next month. It will last into May then it will, because of these stark Chinese measures, it will ease.
1: So I'm just reading from some research that we've put together, but Chinese pharmaceutical companies supply more than 90% of U.S. antibiotics, vitamin C, which, by the way, doesn't help you, <sighs> ibuprofen hydrocortisone and acetaminophen, that's Tylenol for those of you guys who don't pay attention, and 40 to 45% of heparin, which is a blood thinner, which, which is, is really used, important very important to a lot of people. Right. So, I mean, it represented 20% of overall U.S. imports in, in 2018. Does that have an impact on, on our economy? Well, it, I don't think it has an impact
0: on our economy. The numbers here are not, you know, that's a, a impressive, scary list of drugs, the numbers aren't that big. I mean, it's not that big in, in industry. Like when people are concerned about rare earths. our rare earth imports from China? Well, we only import them from China, but the numbers are tiny. Right. Um, so the question would be shortage of those drugs. Uh, I'm pretty skeptical on some of the sourcing on w- what Chinese actual contribution is. There's a supply chain, this sounds weird, but there's a supply chain in little tiny pills like there is in your computer monitor. Mm-hmm. And little tiny pills get assembled in different places. So people are backtracking the supply chain and since the supply chain runs through India, all their numbers are wrong because Indians have no idea what's actually going on. Um, <laughs> Which gives us great confidence yeah, in our drugs. No, that's <laughs> no, so, that, That's a whole other... That's
1: <laughs> yeah, So in.
0: that's the risk. Yeah. I don't believe those 90% numbers, but if somebody said pick a number, I'd say 60%. How confident are you in that? Not. Not (laughs) confident. So we're going to find out that our dependence on China in some drugs is lower than we think, but in others it's not. And we don't know yet which it is because we don't know where substitutes can ramp up quickly and so on. There are going to be stockpile shortages of some drugs for sure. Whether they get to the market depends on how much stockpiling people have done. The one advantage here, if our companies are competent, is they've had two months warning. <laughs> I, I, you know, we'll see. Yeah. We'll yeah. see. Yeah. I mean,
2: but it's not just that. It's like there's a, apparently 90% of our generic drugs come from India and China, right. right? So you're talking about antidepressants, HIV, AIDS medications, birth control, chemotherapy, Alzheimer treatments, diabetes, epilepsy, Parkinson's, ADHD medicines for kids. and you know, under our system, for the most part, people only get like a 30-day supply. You can't really stockpile medicines because the insurance companies mostly require you to get 30 days and then renew. So are we going to have a- Individuals can't, right. Yeah, individuals. So my point being, are we going to have like a rush on the pharmacies soon where people are fighting over, you know, over their medicines? Thanks,
0: Mark. Um, <laughs> look, uh, there could be a situation where people, you know, people are panicking over toilet paper, which is not really related to a respiratory illness. There could be a situation where people decide to panic. There's nothing to be done about that. Again, there's been lead time. There should be warnings privately to the US government about sourcing. The military, for example, has stockpiles of drugs they can make available. Eventually, publicly, they're going to have to. Companies are going to have to say, "This is for stock purposes. This is where we're at. It is a threat. I hope. You know, it's very difficult to say which drug is going to be in short supply and which is not. I don't. I don't have that level of knowledge. I'm not sure." A pharmaceutical expert has that level of knowledge, again, because of the opacity, the lack of knowledge that we have of the China and India supply chain, I hope this is a warning. And the warning is obvious, which is this is ridiculous. Diversification it, right. is what we you, need to do. Right. You, if somebody says, hey, we got four different kinds of painkillers, we can rely on one of them you know, the, for the supply chain, I'm fine. But if you have a critical drug, we mentioned heparin, we mentioned anti-HIV prophylactics. If you have a critical drug, you cannot be running it through China and India. And to their credit, a couple of Democratic law Makers brought this up eight months ago. And we should have brought it up eight years ago. So I hope that this is a warning. And, you know, we can get to the bigger issue of decoupling from China. But having drugs that American people rely on come through China and India, that's a situation we have to address in some way.
2: So it's not just drugs. It's, it's a lot of things that we're very dependent on China. Donald Trump has been warning that we're too dependent on China. He said the other day, the coronavirus shows the importance of bringing all that manufacturing back to America, and we will have that started. We obviously can't bring all manufacturing back to America, but it does raise the question, are there certain areas and industries and things where we really do need a domestic manufacturing base so that we're not dependent on a country like China that we can't rely on?
0: President Trump often sounds to me exactly right about trade, and then he can't stick with it. So, yes, they're absolutely- That's a different question. Right. Right. right? Well, I mean, which Trump are we talking about? The Trump that says there are essential industries that we should not be dependent on the Chinese for. I agree completely. I've been making that argument for years, and you can look back, you know- the Trump that says Canadian steel is a threat to our national security and that's where I'm going to start my trade action, no. The Trump that treats China as if it's the same as our treaty allies when we're sworn to go to war with, again, no. Who are democracies, who tell the truth about what's going on in their countries, again, no. So if you start off with there are critical industries we should have in North America or among our friends and not in China, that's 100% true. That's not the way U.S. policy has gone. If U.S. policy had gone that way, we would have evaluated what really matters, like pharmaceuticals, at the beginning of the Trump administration, or even better, the Obama administration, and taken action on that. The president has really been focused on big numbers in the trade deficit, which is a different thing. I'm not talking about reducing the trade deficit. We shouldn't be talking about reducing the trade deficit. We should be talking about what are industries that we don't want to depend on the Chinese for. even the numbers are small
1: and consumer electronics are still these giant imports from China because who cares. So here's the question. One of the cases that you've been making over the years is just this, that the United States is too dependent, that that fundamentally it's not that we shouldn't be trading with China. It is that China is China's a risk, China's a liability, China's a threat. Okay, And that we can't really extricate one problem from the other. You know, you can't have trade with good China and confront bad China in the South China Sea. That's not how they look at it, that's not how we should look at it. And you've actually argued for a disengagement. Is this crisis an opportunity for us to accelerate that disengagement? It should be. We And then how do we do it? Right. We've seen this
0: is the most high-profile scary virus that's come out of China. It's not the first, it won't be the last. We have lots of evidence about this. Mostly it affects animals. Um, so it's in a sense good for our farmers. But the same process where they, they lose, they have these plagues splitting through their animal population lends itself to things like the COVID outbreak. So we should take this opportunity to think, all right, if the Chinese cut themselves off because they had a virus or they cut us off because they're angry at us because you know we won't let them invade Taiwan or whatever their motivation is, what do we not care about? We don't care about cheaper computers. That's fine. Make them in China. Knock yourselves out, guys. We do care about drugs. We do care about things you know that that matter to the health and safety of the American people. Diet coke. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> That's true. If the Diet Coke is poisoned, a lot of people are in trouble, Um, (laughs) including the two people sitting across from me here. That's the kind of discussion we should have right now. It's the whole thing of like we should treat no changes in our relationship with China because American companies make too much money or, you know, abandon the Chinese completely. That's not the real choice. The real choice is we should use this opportunity to say what industries actually matter to America, It's not steel. It's not cars. I'm sorry, Mr. President, that's wrong. It might be semiconductors. It certainly should be products that Americans need for their health. And we're going to have to decide then, okay, not China. A tougher choice because it's a democracy, but not a reliable trade partner would be India. You know, reliable choices are the Canadians, the Germans. These are democracies that we have alliances with. So we don't need to bring everything back to the United States and we don't need to be taking everything out of China. We have to start the process of making those calls, which this administration hasn't done, even though it's correctly raised the alarm on China when the Obama administration did not at all.
1: Right. So how do we... I mean, the the fear that I have is exactly the one that, that you articulated, the which Donald Trump problem, which is that this is an opportunity not for protectionism, not for, you know, a designation of national strategic industries a la French style, which is also protectionism. This is an opportunity to basically whitelist a group of our trading partners and blacklist the others. And by the way, isn't the fight over Huawei and ZTE, you know, isn't that a would it have a similar effect on that kind of thing as well, where you basically choose and that, that you build a group of countries as we did during the Cold War that trade with each other and don't trade with bad guys?
0: I think in in some industries that's what we need to do, um, and we've been focused. You're absolutely right. We've been focused on technology, 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 and now we're reminded that healthcare is really important. And you know, even though we don't think of healthcare in connection with our military the way we think of communications in a crisis we do need to think of that so absolutely the first step should be treating our friends much better than we treat everyone else and i you know we can argue over who's our friend i'd i'd go for a broad definition until somebody proves otherwise, I'd say innocent until proven guilty, but absolutely. That's why it's so upsetting to me that the president was acting as if European cars were the biggest trade issue outside of China. They're completely different. Stop talking about that. It would be great right now if the president said, look, you know, I'm not changing my views of trade, but we're not going to put tariffs on European cars in the situation that we're in in the United States and Europe. That's just not going to help at all. That would be be useful to the stock market, it would be useful to people's long-term expectations. And then on the other side, with regard to, I I wouldn't, you know, we don't want to say blacklist necessarily because that would be for everything. I would have the group of countries where we say, look you can provide us with a lot of stuff and you know, we're happy that your workers can get good salaries and you can make money and that's all good. Trade is, is mutually beneficial but not for things that we think are important. So unfortunately... So what are those things? Well, that's... That, that, healthcare is one of them. That's, what, is, what is... Danny didn't want to do this for a good reason because once you open the door, this is the big scary thing about protectionism. Once you open the door and says, my you know, my industry is crucial for national security, mm-hmm. everybody's like, hey, look, there's a line of 150 people like Costco toilet paper lines trying to get into to the, I, my industry is crucial for national security.
1: <laughs> no, but Derek points it out. So, right, yeah. The steel industry right. wants it, the airline industry wants right. it, because China's trying to compete there. Right. right. And an F-35 is not the same as a Boeing com- commercial right. jet.
0: I mean, there is a overwhelming bipartisan view in Congress that we need to change our relationship with China in particular. And bill after bill is introduced, and leadership won't let them pass because they'll embarrass the president because he's very focused on his phase one deal. If we wanted to take this opportunity, we can forge a bipartisan consensus on not stuff we need to subsidize, not, you know, stuff we need to cut off. Mexico on or any stuff we don't want to get from China because there's a consensus on China. And so well, the way I want to build a wall between protectionism, which is all of our industries need help because I'm important, I'm you know, so-and-so, and what we need to do to disengage partly from the Chinese is to say, it's not about the industry. It's what we don't want China to supply us with. And you know my answer to that is... We don't want to be in a technologically dependent relationship with the Chinese, which a lot of our tech firms are now, where they claim, I can't make money unless I can sell to the Chinese, all right? That's no good, because the Chinese will squeeze you. And now we have a very strong reason for health and safety. So I would look for advanced technology and health and then have the bipartisan discussion where we've
1: shown that we can act on China. So one of the things, when I talked about the Cold War, I was talking about um, COCOM. So the COCOM, I can't. it was so long ago, I can't even remember what it stood for. But that was a multilateral arrangement in which we agreed that we were not going to buy certain things from the Soviet bloc and that we were not going to sell certain things to the Soviet bloc. It was followed by something called the Wassenaar Arrangement, and it was mostly us and our NATO allies, right? That's the thing, to my mind, that might need to proceed. So this is my question, cart-horse question, right? Should we be leading on this? Should we have congressional action that starts this disengagement on these key issues? Or should we try to actually put together a new COCOM with our European, our Canadian, our Commonwealth you know, friends?
0: We have to lead. And the reason is, and I deal with the Europeans all the time, they don't see China as a security threat. Right. They see China as a health threat now. They see China as an economic threat. But you know, they're not in Asia. They're like, oh yeah, I understand your concerns, peren I don't care. Because in the care. Cold War, they right. had all the mm-hmm. missiles fo-
2: pointed at them. Right. Right now, now,
1: right now, they've got Chinese tourists. So
0: right. exactly. So we need to lead, and I, I'm not saying that us leading magically solves all the problems, but we're not leading. And I'll give you a very concrete example. Congress in July 2018 overwhelmingly passed changes to both our foreign investment regime, which is known as, the body is known as CFIUS, Committee on Foreign Investment in the United States, and our export control regime. Overwhelming bipartisan basis. We have not done anything on export controls. Treasury has put out, it's implementing regulations for CFIUS. I don't think they were that good, but they did their job. Right. And commerce has done nothing on export controls. So when we go to the UK about Huawei and we say, you need to take this costly action to keep Huawei out of your network. So like, uh, I'm sorry, your Department of Commerce is not even implementing export controls passed on an overwhelming bipartisan basis by your own Congress because industry doesn't like it. So we don't have our own house in order to be having these discussions. All it would turn into is a bunch of finger pointing where we say to the Europeans, you don't take China seriously as a security threat. And they point back at us and say, you don't take China seriously as an economic threat. Um, So we we have to get our own house in order first and then go to our allies. Japan and Australia, thankfully, will be with us. They are in East Asia. But if we don't have a consistent set of of actions on our part, we can't talk with other people productively.
2: This is the fundamental problem, though, is that in the cold war bernie sanders accepted we understood that this everyone understood the soviet <laughs> union was the enemy right today there's not that kind of consensus even in the united states i right. don't think that China is our emerging enemy that this is a country that we that is the new Soviet Union of the 21st century that's going that's going to threaten us it's the biggest national security threat it's starting to happen
1: I don't think you feel that way either though do you
0: I don't think China's a, look here's the big difference let's say Xi Jinping is as bad as any Soviet party head and dictator I'm fine with that I think that's true China is not the same as the Soviet Union and so we can't forge the same kind of consensus for one thing we had a block in Western Europe of democracies. In East Asia and South Asia, we have a hodgepodge of, you know, who knows what we think about democracy versus dictatorship. So we're not in the same situation. I think the step we can take, and getting back to Danny's point of this crisis and, and how scary it is, assuming it doesn't go as badly as we fear, is also an opportunity, is to say to the American people, Congress already thinks China is a threat. This virus came from China. Don't forget the freaking propaganda about they did it on purpose or whatever. It, it came or from everyone China. running around right. saying you can't call it the Wuhan, right. the Wuhan virus because that's it, racist. It, it came from China. And are you comfortable with this happening again 10 years from now? Because there's a pretty good chance it'll happen again 10 years from now. Or would you like the government to protect your health and safety by saying this is an unreliable partner? It's reliable for a lot of things. That we can continue to have a tra- trade with, and it's unreliable for other things. So I agree with, I don't think China's the Soviet Union. I think we're already ready to, to treat China differently than we have been in the Congress, and I think this event is going to bring support in the American people to that same side. And I'll say one thing Joe Biden's record in the Obama administration was very pro China, as far as I'm concerned. I think it'll be very interesting to watch him try to campaign. I think he's going to sound very different than he did, for example, in 2015, and that is going to reflect shifting American mood, where we can take actions against China, that before people were, were wondering, like, do we really have to do that?
1: Luckily, Joe Biden doesn't really remember what he did in the Obama administration, so that won't affect him. So I've got a, a big exit question for you. We talked, just before we started recording the podcast, we talked about the, this happening again. You just said that again. so. One of the conceits that's going to come out of China is, we've learned so much. This is never going to happen again. And so don't worry, people. And anyway, it was your fault, America, you know, disinformation. Make a persuasive case why this is going to happen again because i think that you know we're such a 24-hour news cycle country once the stock market starts going up we're going to forget this happened and start talking about joe biden and donald trump and melania and jill you know and that that's the way we are which is a great thing about our country but we need to be reminded china is going to do this again what's the persuasive case let's say there was no
0: covid virus at all and nobody's paying any attention any more attention to china than they did The Chinese pig population is being ravaged by yet another virus. And you might be like, the pig population, who cares? Pork is a staple in China. It's the meat core of their diet. It's responsible for most Chinese inflation bursts. China's inflation is very low, and then pork inflation shoots up and everybody gets upset. They haven't been able to protect their pig population, despite its importance in Chinese food and the happiness of their people, for years and years and years. I have no idea about epidemiology. I do know that when you have animal viruses again and again and again, the chance of one of them jumping, bird flu, pig flu, swine flu, all that, rises. The Chinese have a lot of control over a lot of things in their country, but if they can't control their pigs and they have to become more dependent on, on us, for example, for pork supply, they don't want to depend on us for food, for Pete's sake. That's a sign to me they don't have it together. So forget COVID. Just ignore all of it. You could still look at what's going on in China in, in terms of their ability to feed themselves, which is a huge priority for the Communist Party, and say, you can't do it. And if you can't do that, then 10 years from now, animal virus number 38 is going to jump to people again. You're going to lie about it again because you are the Communist Party and the world is going to be exposed again, even if you take very dramatic effective actions after the virus jumps and after you lie about it. So we have decades of evidence saying the risk in China is higher than any other country despite Communist Party control and then because of Communist Party control.
1: Terrific. Scary as hell. Jeez, Thank you so much, Derek. You're thank terrific, you, Derek. are terrific as always.
0: Really appreciate it. Glad to be here.
2: I'm really glad we grabbed Derek before the AI shut down here and that had dragged him into the studio before we lose our space here. Because uh, I, th- I think that was really informative. I want to argue with you about this protectionism point because every time somebody says wants to put some restrictions on on trade, everyone sets their hair on fire and says protectionism, protectionism. You know, I think we need to have a fundamental reassessment of certain things that have been that have been established truce on the right that all free trade is good, that populism is bad. We had just had an election with Donald Trump in 2016, where millions of Americans who weren't getting listened to, whose jobs were being exported to China, and that's true, that's what happened. On the right, we always say, free trade deals, there's no net job loss, right? No, there is a net job loss in, in in Ohio. There's a net job loss in Michigan, and those voters stood up and said, "What about us? Uh, no one's watching out for us." At the same time, we're discovering now that we are we through globalization, we become completely economically dependent on China in key sectors that we shouldn't be dependent on them for. And so, we need to have we, to get rid of these, turning protectionism into an epithet. We don't want to be protectionists. We don't want Smoot-Hawley. We don't want to go back to what caused the depression. But we need to have a national discussion about the limits of globalization, the limits of free trade, and have a more balanced policy that takes into concern, number one, our national security, and two, uh, the economic security of a lot of Americans who are getting hurt by, by unfettered free trade.
1: Okay. I'm not an absolutist on, on trade either, and I understand what you're saying, and I think that there's an argument there. The problem is that the rational argument that you're making is an open door for everybody who wants to bring back, you know, to make GM great again. This is the buggy whip industry. At the end of the day, I'm sorry, at the end of the day, what has kept America at the forefront of the global economy has been innovation and productivity. The notion that somehow we should rest back the making of TVs or your computer screens and give those jobs to people in Ohio or in Michigan is ridiculous. We need to figure this out. Now, So my argument is sort of half. I half agree with you, which is that I think that there needs to be a recognition that there are some strategic areas.
2: I think you wholly agree with me because I want a balanced approach, and what you're saying is that... You're opening the door to the people, the crazies who will say, "Let's let's have well, but, go back to protectionism and inflation." But I think, but I
1: think a lot of those people who voted for Donald Trump actually do think that they should be making their TVs back. You know, they think we should get. Remember that those crappy RCA TVs that we used to have back in the olden days. Right? They think we should have. We should be making those again. This is the challenge for us. And I will say this: America is not very good at calibrating. And I don't want us to get off topic. I mean. I don't want us to get off topic because I think we need to separate this discussion, which is a much bigger discussion, from the notion that we need to do a reassessment of our relationship with China. As Derek said, that not only do we need to do a reassessment of our relationship, our economic dependence on China, our lack of diversification, but that we need to get our own house in order. Because what we've seen with this Huawei fight is that we cannot get the Europeans to do what we want because they look at us and say, I'm sorry, what? Didn't you just give a waiver to Microsoft to continue working well, with because Huawei? We don't have an alternative right?
2: because we don't have a domestic 5G capability to right. offer them. Right. So we're not even competing. Yeah. So
1: we're not even competing. Right. But our lack of a domestic 5G Competitor, I'm not sure we can root it back to this, but I also want to come back to this, to the coronavirus challenge, because Derek said something at the end that I think everybody needs to listen to, and this is the point that you made. Thank you for flacking my piece in the in the intro. But this is the point that I made in this piece I wrote in the Dispatch. You know, everybody says, "Oh, America, you can't export democracy," and you know who cares if they have a totalitarian regime in these places? And the answer is, you know what? If you're going to do this again, if you want to get coronavirus, you know. Mark three. if you want to get swine flu, HIV, Ebola, if you want to get those diseases again, then we should keep doing things the way we're doing them right now. Because these governments, bad governance is what leads to the spread of these disease. It's Russia that says they have 28 cases. I mean, really? 28 cases? It's the Chinese who have continued to lie about this. It's the Iranians. You know, I don't know whether you guys caught this, but you can see Iranian mass graves from space. I mean, it's mind boggling because the Iranian government is lying. It's not just the licking of the shrines that they've been recommending. They've been lying (laughs) about this left, right and center. Half their cabinet is infected. You know, these are bad people. and they upside to every tragedy. (laughs) (laughs) Mark, These are bad people, and they're making Americans sick. We can say we don't give a damn if they die, and that has been the attitude about diseases overseas, but we do give a damn if we die.
2: Yeah, everybody's walked away from the freedom agenda because... You know what difference is? How does it affect my life if the if the Chinese are jailing a million Uyghurs? Well, this is how it affects your life because we learned on 9/11 that events happen 3,000 miles away can come to hit us here at home, and it's not just terrorists; it's disease, it's all sorts of things. So we need to have a freedom agenda, uh, and we need to make democracy more of a priority in our foreign policy. But two, we also need to have a real rethink about our. Trading policies and find that balance, and not be terrified by the protectionists to say that we we may need to rethink globalization a little bit. We need to have an, an intelligent uh, policy when it comes to restricting trade with certain countries on certain products that w- that are relating to health, national, national, health security. national security, and all the rest of it, and try and favor trading partners and allies who we, we can trust. count on and trust. And I think that's a reasonable discussion for us to have.
1: Yes, it is. And you see, the coronavirus has really brought us together, Mark, because we're ending on a note of harmony and consonance. (laughs) How lovely for us. Thank you guys for listening. See you soon. Bye. And our team here at AEI is Alexa Santry, Matt Winesett, Jen Moretta, and Macy Heath. Let
2: us know what topics you'd like us to cover. You can get in touch with the show by emailing us at
1: whatthehellatai.org. Or you can reach us on Twitter. I'm at D Pletka. And I'm at Mark Thiessen. That's Mark with a C.